Well, at age five, I realized I had a talent. The talent was I had amazing short-term memory. And with that, I could win candy. And this is the way it worked. I went to Sunday school, right? You know, Sunday school classes, and they would have these memory verses that you had to learn. And I was a pro at learning the verse that Sunday morning and being able to recite it there in class. I had stars off the chart and candy galore. And I love competition, so it was even better. Now, I don't think that was the purpose behind it, me just getting candy. They were trying to get me to remember these Bible verses. But the truth is, my long-term memory was not very good. I still do not remember 99% of those verses. They are not in my mind and not in my heart. So, you have to wonder, was that a good objective and a good strategy I don't know. I'm not going to make a value judgment over inducing our children to learn Bible verses. We do it ourselves with our kids. Um, I don't know if it's always the right motive to give them money to memorize verses or not. Um, and I don't know if it's causing long-term change. You might say, well, it worked on Dan because he's a pastor now. I don't know if that's really why I'm a pastor because of that candy, but who knows. But the thing is, the Bible, a lot of it, is written in a way to be memorized. Specifically, the Psalms. Something that you could reference in your life and be able to speak or pray or sing. That's the Psalms set to music. The Psalm this morning that we're looking at is, and was just sung, is an acrostic Psalm. Meaning each new line or stanza starts with the order of the alphabet, A through Z. Well, of course, we don't know A through Z for this because it was written in Hebrew. So it is the Hebrew alphabet that is being used as an acrostic psalm. So they would remember it more easily as it goes forward. They could memorize it well. Maybe this lost art, I think it is a lost art, of remembering and memorizing scripture might be good for our age. In an anxious age where we hear ding, ding, and we look to our phone, and we are distracted by it, whether it's someone posting on Instagram or Facebook or a text or whatever it might be, and these dings consume us. Maybe the Psalms can speak to our heart. Maybe there are something there that can calm the anxiousness that we feel in this age. Now what we're doing uh, the, this last week and this week is not typical. Usually we're going through a book of the Bible uh, and we will be going and starting Ezra and Nehemiah next week and we'll go all through uh, the whole uh, end of the year. Uh, but this, uh, these two weeks, I'm kind of preaching what passages God gave me during my sabbatical over these past four months. That's not typical. It's not about me trying to exemplify the Lord, but hoping to show how God has worked on me that you might see God through that. And so last week we looked at Mark, 
Today we are looking at Psalm 25. We live in an anxious age. In fact, just about three years ago, a famous book came out that's gotten a lot of press by Joseph Bottom. The book is called An Anxious Age, The Protestant Age and the Spirit of America. One of his basic theses is this, that uh, the idea of transcendence, the idea of a hope outside of ourselves, that there is something spiritual, that there is a God is being removed from America in a very accelerated way. He looks specifically how about 50% of Americans were going to a mainline Protestant church in the 1950s and 60s. And the number of Americans that now go to a Protestant mainline church is at 10% in the United States. And he says that is a major sociological shift. The question is, what is filling the gap? And that is the anxiety that we live in in America. What narrative are we clinging to? Where is there hope if transcendence has been taken away? And he looks at how there are less catastrophic things happening in our age right now. We're not in a world war. We're not facing a pandemic that's killing large percentages of the American public. We do not have infant mortality that used to be um, at 20%, 30% in America in the not too distant past. But even though those things are not in play, we are still anxious. And he argues it's because we have no ballast. It is no surprise that close to 40 million American adults are on antidepressants. That's close to 13% of our adult population. Hear me, I am not shaming those that are on antidepressants or dealing with anxiety, or dealing with these issues. Instead, let's acknowledge the reality that we are in, and let us look at what we might be able to do to solve this issue. Are there answers? Does the gospel give answers to these issues? I really think this is the beauty of Psalm 25, written over 2,000 years ago. The problems of our heart have not changed. We are surrounded by troubles in Psalm 25. They are surrounded by troubles and they are wrestling. At the very end, it says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This psalm doesn't just speak to the psalmist and him dealing with his anxiety, but it deals with the corporate pain of Israel and their troubles. And here, Psalm 25 is a prayer of confidence. Confidence mixed with the reality of the psalmist's anxiety and the troubles the psalmist face. And the psalmist starts first by going to God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. 
He is giving all of these troubles to God. But in the midst of all of these troubles he's giving to God and trusting in God to work, he is wrestling with his anxiety through it. And we see at the beginning of this psalm three troubles that the psalmist is facing. The first are enemies. I don't think like other psalms or maybe we read Kings, it's maybe talking about maybe a battle or a war or physical enemies, but more enemies in his mind, those that might be taunting him or saying, is your way really working? Should you really trust in God? Is this just a joke? And the way that the psalmist writes it is that these enemies don't believe that there is any God. They live without reason, wantonly treacherous. Is the way they're living going anywhere? The psalmist, the way he's living, is it, is it occurring, anything good occurring from this? Is he going to make it with the kind of teaching that he has or the things that he trusts in? Is he wondering, do I have to compare myself to other people? Look how far ahead they are in the way that they're living compared to how I am doing. I had a good friend, I was wrestling with these kind of ideas, and I said, it's not really anyone specific telling me these things, it's just kind of out there. Am I going to be a success? Is the way I'm living producing anything good? Am I going to have anything when I retire? Is what I'm doing valuable? My friend said, you know, that sounds like the ancient way of talking about a Greek chorus. I don't know if you've seen Greek plays, but they had a Greek chorus in plays. And what would happen is the main character would walk around, and then they would have this chorus of about 10 to 25 people that would sing behind the main character about what was going on. The Greek chorus, and that was in his mind, describing if what he was doing was right in going anywhere. Do you have a Greek chorus in your mind? Am I raising my kids right? Am I going the right way? Am I going to be okay? I think the first step is identifying the voice and the messages. And we see how the psalmist solves these issues here. He see, it says, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. The psalmist is saying, if you wait upon the Lord... If you have the long game in view, if you don't see just what is right in front of you, you see how God is redeeming all things, you will not be put to shame. 
constantly through the psalm. He says, wait, wait, wait upon the Lord. Hope in the long game. And this is not trite. He says these people will be found out that do not live this way. Their ways will be found out. In the midst of trial and trouble, it is hard to wait and to hope. Again, I, like I said, I spent three weeks alone in silence and talking to others that have gone through this experience and myself, I realized something in these three weeks that you start to see a grander picture than just what is right in front of you. Because right in the midst of it, I'm still thinking about, oh, is the church going to be okay? Is my job going to be okay? Are my kids going to be okay? All these things are the first things you think about. And then those start to drift away, and you realize that there is more to life than what is just right in front of me. And then you start to see God's faithfulness in waiting for him and the way that he threads the silver lining through it all. And talking to other people that have gone through that same silence experience, they realize God's faithfulness. And this Greek chorus starts to go away. And the trust in the Lord starts to fill your mind. The next issue the psalmist is going through is what way should I get, go? Should I go this way or that way, this path, that path? Lord, show me which way to go. And more than that, how do I go in that way? How, if I take that path, do I, how am I led in that way? And again, the issue is, is this path going to be right? Is that path going to be right? Is there someone that's going to help me as I go down this path? He's wondering about where to go. And the answer to this is, for you are the God of my salvation. And again, for you I will wait all the day long. Why should the psalmist trust? Trust in God in the way that he leads, because he is the God of his salvation. He is the one that will save him, not just past but present. It's the way it's worded here. Past and present, the Lord leads. I don't know about your anxiety about where to go, what path I should take, but that usually fills our minds of not knowing where to go or how to go on the road. Again, this is something I dealt with after three weeks alone. I was very raw, and I knew that something had changed in me, and I didn't know what it was going to look like. I called a good friend of mine in Colorado. He's also a therapist. We have lots of good conversations about this. We went to seminary together. And he said, you know, I saw this movie, and I think you should see it. I know how you like movies. It might help interpret your situation. And the movie was called The Sound of Metal. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. 
Um, actually watched it with um, Ellie and Morgan. For most of all scenes are, are good, just discretion among parents. But uh, it's about this heavy metal drummer that loses his hearing. And he's trying to now find his way. At the beginning of the movie, he's realizing he's losing his hearing. What he is supposed to do now that he cannot play. And the issue is that he's also taken up drumming and playing in this heavy metal band to deal with his past addictions to heroin. So drumming was a way of salvation for him. And now he cannot drum, and he's deaf. And he joins this deaf community, not knowing how to sign or any of these things and learning how to do that. And it's just this type of reliance and trust. And the head of this community tells him this, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to sit down in the morning for two hours and just write out what is going on in your life. He's wrestling and wrestling. Okay, this isn't some Christian movie. But I think all things are gospel stories. That's my opinion. But here, this man that runs this deaf community is speaking to this guy who is still, these addictions are still coming up. And he wants to run and do and do and do. And this head of this community looks at this man, this young man, and says, in the stillness, you will see the kingdom of God. In our waiting, in our trusting, the Lord will lead us as we go through trouble. As we figure out which way to go and how to go. I will admit I did not know how I was going to do it after three weeks alone and four months of this sabbatical. And I'm realizing that God is continuing to work on me in the way and on the path. And he will teach me if I wait on him. One, enemies. Two, the anxiety of not knowing how to go and where to go. And third, the one that he emphasizes the most here is our own sin. Now, when we think about anxiousness and we think about ways that people talk about dealing with anxiousness, a lot of what people say is deal with our enemies and the voices that might be dealing with it. Tell yourself the truth. Or someone else says, here are the situations that you're in. Try to avoid them or put yourself in these situations and it will help. Those are the first two solutions that the psalmist gives. But the solution he gives the most is we need to deal with our sin. That is not a popular opinion in our culture. But he's saying the reason that he's dealing with these issues is because he has missed the mark. And many of his sins and things he has dealt with and still deals with have led to these issues. 
It's not simply about blaming others. It's not simply about getting into a different situation. No, it is dealing with the guilt, dealing with the sin of his youth. These are issues that he is dealing with. And what is so rich in this psalm is what God says to him when he's wrestling with these things. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. Remember not the sins of my youth. Remember me according to your steadfast love. And then what does he say he does to sinners? He takes sinners instructs them in the way. He humbles. He takes those that are humble and leads them in what is right. What is beautiful here is God takes sinners and he leads them. He helps them. In an anxious age, the answer that we usually give is this, self-determination. You want to deal with your anxiety, you want to deal with your problems, just take hold of them yourself. Just deal with your self-expressionism. Live this way. Live the way that you want to. You do you. That's the answer to dealing with anxiety. Just take it and go the way you need to. But the psalmist says, no, the answer is not self-determination. Instead, the answer is surrender to the Lord. The answer is to say, God, take all of me. And when I humble myself, you will lead me in the right way. You will show me the paths to take. I'll be honest, it's, it, it's hard to admit, to go back to say, my sins many times have left me where I am. And instead of just blaming other people for my attitudes and my anger or my anxiety, I need to look at myself, that I have fallen short, that my way hasn't worked. It's hard to admit those things. But what's beautiful about this psalm is that when the psalmist is able to go to those things, the Lord says, my steadfast love, my steadfast love, I will not remember those things, I forgive you. And then the very crux of the whole psalm is verse 11. This is the chiasm of the song where it all comes into the middle. It says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Here these two things come together. The namesake of the Lord, which is steadfast love, forgiveness, bearing with us, and our guilt. And the great thing about Christianity is this, that we might fail in the covenant, we might fail in our promises, we might fail on our end of the bargain, but God's love is through and through. Despite our failings, he is with us.
It's amazing how we have dealt with anxiety in the 21st century. Just get rid of the pain. Help me to avoid the situation. Let me just get away from it. But God wants to do greater work in us. And the psalmist is letting God do that work in him. I'm reminded of the great story of that paralytic that came through the roof. Remember that in the Gospels? And what did Jesus, what was the first thing he said to this man that could not walk? Take your mat, get up and walk. Is that the first thing he said? No. What was the first thing he said? Your sins are forgiven. And they freaked out. Who can forgive sins other than God? What is greater? God to heal us of our anxiety or our troubles or our worries or for God to say, your sins are forgiven and now you can have right relationship with me and you might still live in troubles. You might still live anxiety. You might still live in this broken world that might be hard, but I'll tell you this. You are no longer enslaved and you can have a relationship with me. You know, what I think is the greatest part of The Sound of Metal, that movie, is his growth in realizing his sin. Usually the answer in Hollywood is just find a meaningful relationship and love, and that will solve all problems, right? Love will solve it. Romance will solve it. In this movie, it's so fascinating that actually in his growth as a person, he realizes his sin towards the girl that he loves, that he was in a codependent relationship, that he was abusing her. And he admitted his sin, and what he did was he gave her up. Maybe, maybe healing will come when we fall into the arms of steadfast love. That is what will really heal us. Maybe giving up things, admitting our sin, admitting the way that we're going is not the way to go. Then the psalmist gives his grand answer to the anxious age. Look with me, verse 12 through 15. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. What is the answer to the anxious age? Fearing the Lord. That sounds crazy 
crazy. Fear is just this loaded word. Why would we say fear? But I'll be honest, we all fear something. And we are seeing that in our age, are we not? We fear politics. We fear getting sick. We fear the American economy collapsing. We fear Aaron Rodgers not being able to play for the Packers next year. I don't know what it is we fear. But we fear things. What if I do not have money or a relationship or power? David put an amazing quote on the front of the worship guide. It says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. What God is showing in this passage is if you fear him, you will have steadfast love with him. Verse 14 is very perplexing. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. How can I have friendship with someone I fear? And the Lord is saying, if you trust in me, if you have awe of me, if you believe that I am the one that can deliver all things, that I am the one that has your life in my hands, then if you do that, I will befriend you and be close to you. And you will not fear anything because I am good. I am steadfast love. And his goodness will overwhelm us. And then we will not live to day to day. What did someone say on Instagram about me? What did someone say on Twitter? What diagnosis am I getting? Do I have to worry about my health? Instead, we can not worry about these arbitrary things, the things that are important, but instead we can have relationship with God to move through these things. Not with worry or trepidation, but with a friend. One of my favorite things over the past four months was watching Simon Cowell's face. You guys know Simon Cowell? America's Got Talent? You know what I'm talking about? Was watching his face after one performance. How many America's Got Talent people? We got people who watch that? Maybe some do, okay. It's this show that basically people are like showing off their talents, right? And Simon Cowell's that American Idol guy, guy that always does what? Just bashes people, right? He's always saying things that are just rude. He's always got this quick wit, boom. But my girls are into it, so I have to watch it. So I'm back from the three weeks in silence, so watching America's Got Talent with Simon Cowell. And they do this one performance, and this one lady comes up. She's very thin. Her name's Jane, right? Maybe you saw this. Her Nightbird, that's what she goes by, right? She's very thin. She's 30 years old, and she's going to sing. And before her performance, they ask, you know, the bio kind of thing, and and she says, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing, she's got a great smile, she's, she's very joyous, and they say, well, you know, I, she says, I haven't been working for a year and a half, and they say, well, why not, well, I have, I've been battling cancer, and they say, well, how's it been going, and well, it's ravaging my body right now, it's taking over half of my kidney and my lungs, 
And now, now, you know, it kind of puts everyone in a little bit of shock. And then she sings this beautiful song, right? And the main lyrics of the song is, it's okay, it's okay. And what I loved most, I love the song, that was great. But what I love the most is the audience reaction. It's usually clapping right away, but it was like stunned silence. And then watching the panel's faces of stunned silence. And especially Simon Cowell, he didn't know what to say. He was choked up. And as he choked up and trying to say something, she said something to him. He says, you can't wait, she said, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to decide to be happy. The panel had this look that said, where does this come from? How in the midst of this can you have joy and sing and have hope? That's the question the psalmist is asking us in verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? But maybe the question should be this. Who is the woman that fears the Lord? And here this Jane, this nightbird girl, was saying to the whole world, I am one that fears the Lord. I do not fear death. I do not fear trouble. I do not fear anxiety. I fear the Lord. And we shouldn't be surprised that this young woman walks with Jesus. What a great question for us. And that's what the psalmist is asking us. Who is the one who fears the Lord? Who is the one? Society is asking that of us Christians right now. Who is the one that fears the Lord? That we would look into these troubles of our world and we would show them we are not anxious. That we are ones that know we have a God that has everything in his hands. Because the one that fears the Lord, his soul shall abide in well-being. His soul shall abide in well-being. I love this psalm again because of this. You could end there in verse 15. My, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for you. Pluck my feet out of the net. We, can we could end on positivity. We could end on just buck up and make it work. But no, the psalm at the end then goes to the deepest lament and cry. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am alone and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of all of my distress. The psalmist gives the greatest lament to the very end. It doesn't mean it's totally solved, that troubles are all gone. No, the psalmist still walks with these things. But now the psalmist walks in these things with friendship with the Lord.
am I supposed to tell you? You know, you want to deal with your problems and your anxiety and your pain? No, just take four months off like I did. That's easy for you to say, Dan, no anxiety. You took four months off. I'm going to be very honest with you. Some of the darkest parts of my life were over the past four months. Those three weeks alone were painful. The psalmist is saying this is not an easy road to walk this life. There are enemies and doubts and questions of where to go and our sin. Peter Craig says it the best in summing up this psalm. It is a road too difficult without the companionship and friendship of God. It is a road too difficult without the companionship and friendship of God. I was intrigued about this Jane, this night bird, and she wrote this poem, really a story, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. She says this, I have had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and I meet with God that he will say I, was, say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. And she says this, even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon it's her mat in her bathroom where the sun comes in. In the afternoon light to listen for God. I know it sounds crazy, and I really can't explain it. But God is in there, even now. I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. I don't know your trials. I don't know your troubles. I don't know your enemies. I don't know the choices you have to make. I don't know your sin. I don't know your anxiety. But I know a God that wants to work in them and through them. And he wants friendship with you. So the great question that everyone asks me, what have I gotten out from my sabbatical? What have you gotten, Dan? Refreshment? Sure. Rest? Yes. A great time with my family? Absolutely. Fun vacation? Yes. But this is what I ultimately got out of my four months away. I cannot do this life. I cannot do this job. I cannot do being a dad and being a husband without friendship with the Lord. 
And I told you I sat on that porch, and it was only five days in that I saw those notes under that rocking chair, but I had 16 days left. And what did God give me in those six days? He gave me Psalm 25. In my greatest thoughts, in my heaviest moments, in my greatest troubles, both in that three weeks alone, and then when I got back, thinking about coming back to this job, God gave me that psalm that I just gave to him over and over again. Maybe, maybe instead of when we go to the bathroom and pulling out our phones and reading it, Maybe instead, when anxious thoughts come to our mind and we go to ESPN.com or we have to call someone just to be able to talk to someone because we're hurting so much, maybe we need to talk with the Lord and have friendship with Him. Maybe that's the answer instead of in this anxious age just filling ourselves with things to be able to calm our hearts that we need to go to Him. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for the Lord will be put to shame. They will be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways. Lead me in your paths. Teach me your truth. And lead me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs the sinner in the way he leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the ways of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my sin, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. All of his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will make known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me. Be gracious to me for I am alone and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my troubles and my afflictions. Forgive me of all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I trust in you. May integrity and righteousness preserve me, for I wait for you. 
Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles.